My guest today is a strategic account executive at Nike. Please welcome Anaje Barnes. Anaje, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing all right. <laughs> Everything going okay? Yeah, I'm here in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> Just looking at Zoom life. Yep, yep, yep. Zoom life. That's what it is right now. <laughs> well, hey, man, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it. I'm great to be here. I'm so excited. I've been privately waiting for the invite, but you know, you can't invite yourself to something. So I, 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 I finally made the Cool Kids Club. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right. So, hey, man, let's jump right into this. What do you do? So currently I am a strategic account executive at Nike. And what that does is I liaison sales to one of our fifth largest account in the country. And basically what we do is we try to get the uh, Nike product to uh, stores at the right time at the right price. So our goal is to make sure that if you've got a favorite shoe or sock or t-shirt or or sports team, whatever that apparel or that item is that's in the back of your mind that you want to purchase, want to make sure that we have your size at the price that is advantageous for you to purchase at the right time. That's kind of like retail, back-end retail 101, right product, right time, right price, right location. In the world of online shopping, the right location is becoming less, uh, mm. but essentially in the in a small, that's what we do, but this whole career that exists at the end of retail that, that most people really don't know about. If you think about Nike intuitively, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that you might have something from Nike in your wardrobe, yeah. you think about it, you probably did not buy it from a Nike store. If you think hard about it, you probably bought it from a Foot Locker or Dick Sporting Goods or an Academy Sporting Goods, that kind of um, And so for, I'd say for the, for 38 out of 40 something years of, of Nike's history, we've been a wholesale company. So essentially I'm a wholesaler. Most people like as a wholesale company because we're so forward uh, looking with our brand and, and aggressive with, with our brand management. But from a sales and distribution perspective, things are dramatically changing now with some of the shifts to happen. But for the most part, we're a wholesale company. So my job is to maintain a positive, good relationship with my account, sell them a key stories. So hopefully they in turn can sell you those same key stories, making sure that they're profitable. That's a major component. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times people think like, oh yeah, you got the new Jordans or whatever. Like I do 13 years and I've never worked. Uh, I mean, I sell a few Jordan items, but for the most part, I don't, I don't work in selling Jordan shoes. But it's a great job, great career, very fast, a lot going on all the time. Mm. And I can kind of get into some of the details uh, later, but it's a very cool job. But retail in general is very cool for people who like fashion, for people who like analytics. That's the great part about my job. It kind of brings two things that I really like together. It brings fashion, it brings coolness and all that kind of stuff, but it also brings a level of uh, data analytics. And then you put those two things together kind of got my job and, and, and a few other people's jobs. So. Uh, that's great. That's great. And I love how you're talking about selling the stories instead of selling yeah. the, the products, you're selling the stories to your customer. So you're, you're basically working to achieve the best possible result for both your company and your account that you have. And you said, oh, a a absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're fundamentally shifting right now in this moment around how we market and how we bring our products and our stories to life. Mm -hmm. We want to get gain more control over the message. And Nike has a lot of control over its messaging, obviously, but we want to make sure that we gain a lot of control over. But in my particular job right now, it's imperative. Each retailer has their own specific markets, have their own specific customer bases and their customer profiles. And we're trying to reach those customers through our own messaging, through our own lens. And like you said, sell our stories, sell our messaging. And our stories change all the time. Uh, I have a key story for some different items. For me, I work in what we call sports moments, also known as hot market within the industry. But that that for me is 
has been fantastic. And sports moments, think of uh, you have a key moment in, in time, in history, in the year, right? And what are those sports moments, right? So think Colin Kaepernick, think yep. CFP, which is College Football Championship. That's coming up now. Mm-hmm. I'm working on that now. Uh, think Olympics. I worked on that. Think Women's World Cup. I worked on that, which was which is fantastic. So or the Astros or Rangers or whoever winning the World Series. So I do a lot of work around that specifically within my job. And again, that piece is crazy fast paced. Imagine because who knows who's actually going to win a game. Right. Like, who, how do you know who's going to win a game? So then how do you get that product into that city or that right market or country for that matter at the right moment? Right. Because how do you know, we, like, are they going to win a game six and game yeah. five? in game seven so that piece of the job is is very interesting and fast Mm. so that's interesting also because you mentioned fashion and data analysis as being two of your passions and two of your loves but i know sports is also one of your passions as well so you put that in there too that's even better I know. And then I, the, the sports element, I mean, I, I'm dressed up today. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get to wear T-shirts uh, and sweatpants or whatever to work in Jordans. Uh, when I first worked with Nike, I mean, I was a jacket every day. You weren't in dress code if you didn't have a jacket in the time. And then now I go to, you got, what, what you what you doing? You a little dressed up today, OJ. What's, what's going on? So I can wear T-shirts and hoodies and, that, and that's fantastic too. Nice. Being able to talk sports, like when, when you come into office and your first two hours is is talking about you know the 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 Monday night football game or or your favorite basketball team and 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 that's part of work. So you know that, that's cool. Right, right. <laughs> now, talking about the uh, sports moment, can you kind of just talk about how that project works? Let's say, for example, it's a World Series. And I've done a lot of those. Yeah. So, so, so kind of like from beginning to end, how does that work? Let me break it down. So go uh, finish. Right. So we have a, we have a go to market and and people have heard the phrase the market in in different industries before, but essentially when we go to marketing in sports moments, so technically one of the pieces of my job is called license. So the, the overall business is called the license business within Nike. And that's just think of that as like a sub department or a subcategory of our larger, right? Um, so license is anything that we have to pay for, pay license for to put our swoosh on the product, right? So here's some big ones, right? Like MLB, right? Uh, NFL, NBA, right? These are our large our college football. These are our larger licenses, right? Uh, having the swoosh at Texas or having the jump man at Oklahoma, which is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> joke as it goes on. But but it licenses is that that total business that anything you, you pay for, Olympics, uh women's world cup, that kind of deal, right? So each quarter we have a portfolio of products that we're trying to sell. Most of those products will have a story behind it. Um, meaning like this is the inspiration of the product this is the inspiration of why we decide to come up with this item. Hey, this is sponsored by athlete and mom made sugar cookies or whatever. And we'll make something, you know, sugar cookies or something. Right. So in, in sports moments and, or in license each season, you know, let's say college football, I'll roll with college football for a little bit, you know, summer season is kind of where we really kick off this season and summer for us is April, May, June. So think that's kind of where we're going to launch the, the camp shorts or the, the workout gear that you see the players actually practicing in. A lot of the practice gear uh, will launch main uh, – the coach's polo is a key item every season that we'll have. I mean, I've got friends that buy the coach's polo every year, and we'll, we'll make sure – and the reason why summer is a big deal is because Father's Day is within summer. Mm. It's a key moment. So that, that's a key moment in time. It's not a sports moment, but it's like – you know, that's a top four selling period throughout the year. Right. So we'll make sure that we'll have our, our, our coaches polo. And all of these items will have some type of inspirational feel, meaning we might have a camel pack because, you know, we're trying to integrate and, and sell more things in the South or whatever. We might have a, a tech pack or all pack or a platinum pack or some type of story behind it. Most of our items but the stories live within the larger calendar or framework, right? Meaning like, hey, summer, we're going to drop these type of items because we know historically they sell. How do we know? Because we got all the data, right? I tell people all the time, 
especially internally, is that we, we debate and we argue like, oh, no, this white shirt is better. This red shirt is better. This item has got foil and it's got, got that. And so, you know, there's always a lot of internal fighting around because we make a lot. Let's be clear. We make a lot of product. And one of the things I always remind people is that the consumer will decide. The consumer is the person that votes. I mean, we all have these experts. We all have, hey, we have our degrees. We have our years of experience. We have this, that, and the other. But ultimately, the consumer decides. And the best and the best data point of making that, and this is not an anecdotal, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, this isn't a poll, right? Um, this is a vote, and 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 the deciding with their vote is pocketbook. You know, they go in and they purchase. What better vote can you have in life than someone actually purchasing something, right? Because they're they're spending their hard earned money to buy something. That is a strong indication you know, that data point is a strong data point, right? If you work somewhat in the tech industry, there's all type of data endpoint, uh, data, data points you can refer to to make a conscious decision going forward, right? You know, there's so much versions of analytics, but what I love is sales per are extremely strong data point. So we have those data points. And when I say sales purchases, I mean, we can go to the, oh, hey, I know that in Missouri City, we got five stores, in Missouri City, and you know what, we sell more extra larges in the color red in this area. Oh, why do we do that? You know, and you can kind of dig into dig into those things, right? Or Burn Orange in Austin. Well, there's this big university in Austin. Right? <laughs> yeah, you can analyze so many different things. Shoe sizes. Shoe sizes is a big one, and obviously Nike is. You know, we do majority of our business in shoes. But shoe sizes go from six and a half to 15, 18. And that's inventory. That inventory costs money to predict that X amount of people will buy this shoe. Like, how do you know that? And so predictive analytics is something that we've been trying to really, really grow. I think we've got room to to continue to improve. But I mean, these are the things. If you buy a million pairs of a shoe and you buy them all in uh, some obscure size, like a 15 or something, I mean, you might not make any money. Right. And so it's really important to, one, have that history to say, okay, what is my size curve? Mm-hmm. And a size curve basically thinks like, um, you know, like in the T-shirt, you'll go small, medium, large, extra large, double X, triple X, right? And so the question is, what is the biggest size? Buy one of each size? Well, that's not smart. Right. Does your area skew larger, like in the south in Texas? Uh, you know, hey, we got great food in Texas. So that, that means we might have a couple extra larges down here. <laughs> so that's a big deal. And, and knowing the difference between a, a Houston and a San Francisco. Right. Because we're going to sell those guys the same items, but they wouldn't get the same size pack or they might not get the same colors. So just trying to figure out what those anomalies are. Oh. Um in the business. And that's something that we're looking for all the time is anomalies to, to help make us more efficient. Um, because every time you buy in, in basic retail and wholesale for that matter, and this is regardless of the industry, I mean, you're, you're probably buying something upfront, right. And then you're trying to sell this product. And if it's a physical good, it costs physical money. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to sit on that money, um, the longer you sit on that money, the more, or the less money you actually are making, right? Because that, that that inventory might not be as productive. So our job is is to really maintain making the right items in the right marketplaces for the right people, right time at the right. And, and I mentioned right price because a consumer will decide if if your hundred dollar shoe is really worth a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars only doesn't mean anything, and that's and that's kind of a little. Um, people are like, well, how much does this cost? How much are you willing to pay? Mm. Um, no one ever hears the second willing to pay. And that's a misnomer where, you know, consumers really do control pricing. They really do control what an item costs and, and you know, where it's going to be. Uh, and a lot of times consumers don't necessarily feel that control. You know, you feel it during a day when everybody's kind of against one another for different pricing and goods. But ultimately, if you don't, not spending a hundred dollars on shoes, then then we wouldn't be making a hundred dollars shoes. Right, right. So, just curious, what technology are you using to help you with your predictive data analysis? 
Um, you know, we we are contracting with with a lot of the newer guys that are coming up, um, the Tableaus, you know, a lot of the software sales guys, the Snowflakes. Um, I know they just had an IPO, whatever. But um, yeah, we're, we're partnering with with a lot of those guys for uh, software uh, deals, but we have not engaged in artificial intelligence yet. Okay. The key word is yet. Right. I, yeah, I'm not I'm not in the back room to to make those decisions or whatever, but I, I suspect it will come one day. But to be specific, I mean, my go to is Excel. I'm in Excel all day long. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was one of those guys that learned Microsoft Access ten years ago. Now, I've broken Excel several times. <laughs> um, that, 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 that's what we, you know. I mean, I'm a pivot table spreadsheet guy. I mean, that you know, Nike would think that hey. My primary job in my life is spent in Excel for the most part. Yeah. So it's 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 cool. All right. And so this is very interesting. So you're having to have this deep knowledge of your account. You're doing predictive data analysis. You're looking at the new products that are coming out. You're even having to figure out based on their geographic location what products are going there. There's so much that you're having to do. But let's let's back up a little bit. Can you talk about how you got here and yeah. what <laughs> So how did I got here? So high school, I was always good at math and science, but I also went to, I believe, a cool school called Yates. And so, you know, you got to be fashionable to survive at that school, right? So, you know, you kind of got to come fresh every day, even if you, all your, your dollars don't add up. You got to make it happen. You got to make your outfits happen, right? And so I uh, got into UT and I initially majored in chemical engineering. I thought I love science, right? And, and I like science, but... I think I picked the wrong science <laughs> to begin with. Like many people switched their majors up. So, you know, I learned after about two and a half years in that, after about organic chemistry too, I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. So I had took an economics class and loved economics. And I said, hey, well, you know, I got to get out of engineering. So working these classes transfer over to, so they transferred over to economics. And then from there, I had a mentor at UT and she was one of my advisors. She was a year older than me. And she was able to get an internship with Foley's department stores. And she got a job on with us. You know, it's in Houston, Houston base. It sounds like a cool a buyer. Oh my God, what does being a buyer mean? <laughs> she was able to kind of get me connected with the recruiters and all. I got my internship. And uh, at the end of my inter- internship, I was offered a job. Got on with them as an assistant buyer my first year out of college. And that kind of started my career. As an assistant buyer, again, I was lucky enough to work in a cool area. I worked in what they call young men's tops and collections. What does that mean? That was code for urban streetwear. And this is years and years ago when, like, think uh, I helped launch uh, Sean John, Rockaware, Echo, FUBU. FUBU was probably beforehand, but yeah, I was in the office when when those guys were like, keep booming like when they were like they were it so i was in a lot of conversations around that that was an interesting time because it was a trending area in a department store that probably was a little bit more mature Mm -hmm. um so now you've got different type of customers coming in what does that mean and how's that look and all this kind of stuff so it was actually quite political because these companies exist prior to that it was all prior to that way polo and and tommy hilfiger right Mm -hmm. so it was really exciting there and it was high fashion business less and more high fashion but i moved around pretty quickly at foley's department stores i did some sports there i did a lot of t-shirts i would say like expertise yeah i can sell some t-shirts i know (laughs) t-shirts and then uh, after about three years foley's merged with macy's and Big layoffs, major merger, and and at the time, I mean, I'm from Houston, folks based in Houston, so I'm thinking, oh, my, you know, I'm gonna spend 30 years at this company, right? Um, and three years in, massive merger. Um, you know, I was offered a, a job to work with Macy's and go to Atlanta, but uh, I ultimately chose to, to move to Dallas with J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney, there, I did a lot of planning. Uh, allocation. Um, planning is basically, you know, you're doing all of this data analytics um, to kind of decide some of the things that I was just previously talking about. Um, and then allocation is really focusing on making sure that those items in the right stores. A lot of different sub-career, larger career, right? You, a buyer is really the main person picking the product. The plan is making sure that, hey, are we spending our checkbook? Because you have a checkbook. Like, you, you have a checkbook each quarter. Don't go over your checkbook, right? <laughs> 
And so the planners, that's kind of the guardrail on that. The allocator, I, I kind of consider more of an executor in the moment. Like, hey, you bought all this great product, telling this great story, planner needed X amount, and make sure that we're at the right stores. Um, and at JCPenney, we have a thousand stores. So Penny's isn't, wasn't necessarily the most, you know, trend right, sexy company, so to speak. But what was great about it was that you had a thousand stores and buy for a thousand stores. I mean, you have a big checkbook and in, in the buying the world of buying and selling, it's all about how big your checkbook is. Like that's what, that's what makes you it. Right. Cause you get the leverage, you get to have conversations where you say, Hey, I can sell you this t-shirt for 12 bucks. And you're like, eh, I want it for nine fifty. You're like, no, that was twelve dollars. I'm like, no, well, why is it not fifty? Because I got a thousand stores. So <laughs> you know, you get to kind of learn a lot more about negotiation. But at Penny's, I spent the year there, a little homesick, and I had some connections. I had an old boss, had a couple old bosses that worked with Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they were like, hey, OJ, we heard about this great job with Nike. Do you want to get on with Nike? And I'm like, who, Nike the shoe guys? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I'm like, man, I'm a buyer. Like, what you talking about? Like, I'm not buying it. I'm not a seller. But ultimately, you know, I was convinced to have a conversation, have an interview, went down to Houston. The, the job was back in Houston, which was my ultimate goal was trying to get back to Houston. And the job was down there. I interviewed. I didn't have any intentions on, you know, really working for Nike. Matter of fact, you know, all my shoes were like, and dress shoes and Kohan and stuff. So that was my style at the time. And I might have had like one pair of like old beat up basketball shoes type of thing. So this really wasn't up my alley at the time, but it was a planning job. It was a business planner job. And, and the goal was to finish this, um, you know, art. And I think at the time, probably around 350 million. Um, oh. And at and, and this is, our team was six, seven people. So my job would have been to do all the planning for this $350 million of volume that we were required to do in our checkbook. It, hey, we need you to sell this $350 million. And so if you look at seven people, I mean, that's that's highly efficient regardless of the industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, fast forward, we're doing probably about a half a billion now. Again, about seven people on the team. That's really started my career at Nike. I was being a business planner, um, won several awards doing that. So I would say at the time, our salesmen were like old school salesmen, right? They were great at selling ice to an Eskimo, right? Like, <laughs> I can say ice to an Eskimo, right? Like you want this ice, you need this ice, right? <laughs> and I was coming in with more of a seller's mindset, which was new for Nike, and my mindset was like, well, why wouldn't we sell them a rug or a, cow, a jacket or, or a match, right? Like, why, why are we trying to sell them ice? Let's go sell them some matches. Let's go sell them some coats or whatever, right? Right. What they need. So this is just a different little mindset. We've had a lot of successes with just bringing a lot more analytics to the table, bringing a lot more database selling versus kind of the old school, like, hey, this shirt is great. Don't it look pretty? You should buy because it's the prettiest shirt you've ever heard of, right? Like that was kind of like the old school way. And now it's more of like, like history says that these type of shirts sell. You've sold X amount in the past. Um, you sold them in these locations. And here's the exact amount that I, I can predict that you'll sell next year, mm-hmm. right? So that's a different approach. And that's kind of where, you know, where I try to find in. Um, fast forward, i uh, been with Nike 13 years. We've done, I mean, I've probably done all kinds of different businesses. I've sold footwear. I've sold uh, women's training footwear. I've sold yoga. Um, I've sold tennis. I've sold track and field um, socks. I've sold kid shoes. I'm in license now, which is super fun with sports teams. You know, I can safely say as a UT, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the largest sellers of UT merchandise in the country. If not the largest that's actually pretty cool to say. So I get to dictate what we have for the most part. If my account isn't buying it, then we're probably not going to make it. And that's actually cool to say. Um, And I can say that for a lot of the sports teams that I've covered, you know, the Rockets, um, Dallas Mavericks, et cetera. But ultimately, yeah, right now I'm doing that. I'm also trying to head up our digital and just grow our digital piece with our account. And then also do uh, the great, exciting business of socks. 
And you wouldn't think socks is all that exciting, but um, we do a lot of money in socks and it's highly productive and it's highly efficient. Um, and it's very, very predictive. Meaning I know we need socks for different, different colors and, and areas we'll sell it here. So the analysis piece has a very, very large component. Yeah, it definitely seems so. Okay. And the socks you say are, are extremely predictive. What, what would you say is on the opposite end? Was extremely uh well uh, yeah, I probably have the most opposite businesses you can have at the time. Yeah, you know, most reps kind of stay in the same world, right? Like if they sell men's training tops, they'll probably sell, you know, men's running or men's something or men's basketball, right? Like you kind of stay in the same world mm-hmm. where where my worlds are literally at opposite, where <laughs> like socks is very predictable commodity-based business, right? Like, so think of socks as like, you know, toilet paper or something, right? Uh, it's very, very predictive. Um, we have fashion components in socks and you kind of think of, you know, all the tie-dyes and, and different trends, people wearing socks and mismatches and stuff or whatever, but but that's a smaller component, right? The bigger component is, hey man, give me a, a pack of, of black socks and crew and, and I'll be happy, right? right. Or, or white, right? Like, and, and that the fashion component was bringing black in nine years ago, um, right. which again gives you because now black socks are actually your larger socks um, today over white. You know, that's kind of a shock. Maybe 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. But for the most part, we know that we're going to sell socks at back to school, we're going to sell socks during and black and, and Father's Day. Like, we sell X amount of socks, but license in, right, of the completely different end of the spectrum. I can't you how much it's gear we're gonna really sell like i can't tell you how much texas longhorn football we're really gonna sell i've got a good idea like oh nine and three or ten and six you know ten and two like we might sell x amount but i don't really know because you don't really know how many wins you're gonna have you really don't know what those wins gonna be, right were, were these nail biters were you about game and and I've noticed that, you know, uh, the consumer's license probably has the most, one of the emotional components of the business mm. um, there is. So going, and each day, I mean, literally from email to email, I've got to switch my brain mentally on, okay, fast pace, this, what happened in the last game? Was there a last three-pointer shot or to the other end of, oh, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we, we'll, we'll sell 10,000 Black crews you know, this week, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So it is two different businesses, but there's a lot going on at Nike. I mean, we do our ground game stuff. I do a lot of local market analysis, you know, as kind of like ad hoc programs. Anytime somebody's coming to Houston, they've got an idea, you know, what is, what's being said, what's, what's being talked about in Houston, that kind of thing. Just making sure that we're authentic and locally relevant to the marketplace. That That's kind of a, not quite a job description, but I have a lot of personal passion around making sure that we're, we stay authentic. Yeah, man, very cool, very cool. All right, now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like? Yeah, well, I love about my job and get gray hairs over is that, you know, each day is different. And I'm sure a lot of people say that. It, it, I mean, each day truly is different. You know, we've got our go-to-market calendar, right? So from... And I'll kind of define it more of our go-to-market calendar. And our go-to-market is, is once a quarter. So we got four quarters, you know, fall, holiday, spring, and summer. And each season, we're trying to sell certain products, right? Like, you know, in summer season, you're going to sell a lot of shorts. In holiday, you're going to sell a lot of fleets. Um, so each season, we're going to have, let's say, our go-to-market strategy, right? And it'll start with me, just me seeing the product for the first time on what we call, like, visual cads, like, just a... PowerPoint slides, and then we'll get samples. My first go to market is literally saying, okay, how much business did I sell last year? And in what items and what departments and what classifications and what stylings? And let me lay all on a spreadsheet. And then let me look at what we're offering. Okay, does this line up? Nine times out of 10, it won't line up. <laughs> you know, nine times out of 10, like I won't have exact items that I had last year. And so literally that's my first set of work season it's it's literally saying okay what do i have what we did right is the category stable or you know the business is well defined you know hopefully 75 percent of that will match up 
then you got to find that 25 delta, right? Why do we drop this item? Oh, it didn't sell well. Oh, okay, at retail. Um, and so I might want to sub it out. Or, hey, the category thinks it's stale because we always have this fight between the data analytics guys and then the art guys, right? We call it art and science, right? Um, the art guy want to do something new every year. Our guy, the art guy wants to come out with something young, fresh, at all times, all new year, right? And that's great because Nike needs to make sure that we stay relevant. But then the trade-off is like, you know, science guys saying, hey, we sold like a million of these shorts, 10 inches that had like a basketball logo on it. Like, like let's keep that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, you know, you, you have this fight. So I, I'd say each season starts with me just figuring out, okay, where am I headed? Like, where, where am I at? And so typically, you know, some of mine will be 10% Delta, I was 25%. And so I'm like breaking down like, where's this Delta at, right? And so I'll go in and I'll say, okay, well, last year we had two shorts. This year we only got one. Can I do my business with this one? Oh, no. Then I might have to go back internally and fight to see if I can't get that short back. Or at least like, well, hey, if you're not going to give me that short, can you give me like two more colors on this one short? I can see if I can fudge the numbers and to, to see if they'll fit. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's a big like initial component, right? Hey, if we had a coach's polo last year. We offered it in team color and in white and in anthracite gray. Uh, and this year, you only gave me one color. And the category might come back and say, yeah, you're right. We might need one more color. So th- that, that right there is a whole set of weeks of kind of work and analysis. Then we'll get the samples. And the samples is literally, I get a sample of every item that we're going to make for that following year. Wow. And when I say, yeah, so we, we work about nine months out. So this whole process is nine months into the future, if that makes sense. So yeah. if it's October right now, or if it's, well, let's say if it's December right now, we're, we're looking at next August or okay. next September. So we're, we're far out trying to predict about what's going on because we also have this massive supply chain, right? Where we're making all these items overseas or some stuff domestic, but we're making all these. And so that, that whole supply chain of getting products actually made, shipped and delivered is a whole nother set of the business. So you kind of got to be early. And so we have these guardrails of trying to figure out when we're doing things. Um, but that's the first step of the season. Then I get the samples and the samples basically We'll have a sample of each item that we're going to make. And what I try to do is just match up the quality. I'm like, okay, is this item quality? Like is, then I'll do that same, okay, what did I have last year? Okay, how did it feel? Feel like, what did, how's it fit? Um, you know, I, I might get some people to try on the samples. Like, okay, does this fit right? Does this look weird to you? Does, does this hurt your foot? We'll make sure the samples align with what I've seen visually on a catalog. That way we know, um, and again, I'm not going to lie to me, everything isn't, my, part of my job is to filter the things that I don't believe will sell at retail or to my consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just try to filter this stuff out for my buyers. And then the next step is actually presenting this stuff to your buyers, right? It's it's getting in front of them. You know, I bring a lot of analytics and spreadsheets and, and things like that um, when I meet with them and we'll have two, three things around like what what went well last year what are we trying to do this year mm-hmm. okay does my plan align with their plan right does their plan align with their senior manager's plan right <laughs> uh so you got a lot of gatekeepers and we're kind of trying to match up okay here's the strategic goals for my account is, is within this account so how does their area align financially and strategically with the, their larger company and then vice versa i gotta do the same thing on my side so ultimately what we're trying to do is when we partner with an account, it's a partnership and we're trying to bring our stories, our message, our products to life at these locations. But those stores that we partner with or those companies, they have their own strategic goals. They have their own strategic plans and they're not a hundred percent line with or should they be. And so part of our job is to just make sure that they align with one another. We're trying to tell a story. They're trying to tell a story. How do we put it together? And sometimes I might have 100 items to sell, but my buyer might only have 15 or 20 items worth of money to buy. So my job is, what are those best 15, 20 items out of the 100 that we have to sell? And what's going to help 
bring the best story that Nike's trying to tell, what's going to be financially viable for them, and what's going to have the best ROI and return on our investment um, that that we can we can do and we can make. Because um, ultimately, we're here to make money. Um, yeah. we're, we're here to sell a message, but then we're ultimately here to, make, here to make some money. Right. Now, you mentioned basically planning nine months ahead of time, but just curious about this. What happens in a situation where we were in, a, in since March in the pandemic, where yeah. you have a lot of people not able to go to to the stores, but at the same time, you have so many people that are now exercising outdoors, getting outdoors for everything, and and trying to buy up as much. I, I'm guessing you know shorts and oh, oh yeah, yeah. And, yeah. You know, I've had some interesting moments in my career. Here. <laughs> I mean, it, it ranks really, really, really high as far as, so one, I mean, we had to be nimble. And the, the companies that were nimble, and I mean by nimble is every day was changing with everything was changing, all kind of messages, all kind of things were occurring, right? You could write a book about one month within 2020 and the consumers were changing. So on one hand, I mean, you keyed on one huge trend, right? I remember back in May, I was looking at some data uh, of total retail, like the top 100 items that were being sold at retail the previous year. And then I was looking at 2020s and I was comparing the two and they were completely different. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of people were working out more. Right. They want to be more physically fit. Go try to buy a bike in May of 2020. Possible to find a bike anywhere. Right. Like anywhere Uh, or dumbbell. Like go try to buy a dumbbell personal gym like anything gym related or and like for us let's be honest we represent athletes and athletics and nike has a saying that if you have a body you're an athlete so we're trying to sell products to help people we we promote athleisure right and athleisure has been a thing that we've been big on but i don't think the the country has been big on now conversely if you were a company or brand that sold suits how many of those are you selling right now So we had to be a lot more nimble. And in some cases, there were certain businesses that literally went from, oh, we're, you know, we're selling X amount a week and plus 5% over last year. We're doing great. And those businesses went from plus five to plus 8,000. Like literally that kind of stuff occurred. Okay. Now you have all these people at home. They can have a Zoom call and be in their socks or be in their sweatpants. And guess what? We've also had built such a history around a lot of these items of such a brand strength around these items. So, you know, demand went through the roof for a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. And then there were some areas that demand tanked, right? Like, so think about, we sell a, a big business and cleats, like think football cleats or uh, baseball cleats. Well, now you don't have sports occurring, right? right? As much as what, you know, sports are occurring now, but you think about when the pandemic first started, I mean, nobody was thinking about having doing organized sports, right? right. And, I'm, and I'm very happy that figured out some great ways to, to be safe around it. But if you think about some of these businesses where, um, you know, uh, football gear, like yeah. that, that business suffered. Um, yeah. You you could think of, I mean, there's, there's some areas for my business, like having any games or this, this game, we're supposed to have this Sunday game. And, and we would plan that to bring these products at this time. Oh, this game got canceled. You know, so what do you do there? Well, that that disrupts all the analytics and history that you have. Um, so the, the pandemic and but the biggest thing I would argue that the pandemic has dramatically, it's just not Nike, dramatically uh, altered supply chains. Mm. Um, you know, we're hearing about the pandemic and virus back last January. Why? Because we, we have a big business in China. 30% of our total is sales that are done in China. And oh, by the way, we make a lot of product overseas. So our factories are getting shut down. So we were already panicking back in January saying, hey, our factories are getting shut down. We don't have enough demand. I, my buyers are calling me like, are you sure you're going to have be able to deliver your back to school? Um, because, you know, the, these factories are shut down and what are you going to do? So we went from January scrambling, how are we going to make and then March gets here and the whole country shut down. And so we went from buy more, buy more, buy more to literally in March, like shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, right? Like, so, you know, like cancel, cancel, cancel. So we had to really stay nimble. I don't work in brand, but our brand guys have done an amazing job of staying on top of trends and making sure that we're relevant. 
you know, I would be remiss to not acknowledge the social justice and awareness movements that have occurred in 2020. That for us is a, is a big deal along with the pandemic, because I would argue that we're a company that, that have put our foot forward and stood out in regards to this issue. And, and again, has that a ton of customers? Absolutely. It's alienated. Um, but it's also driven people towards. And I think uh, if you look at some of the consumers today, you know, if you're going to be a brand, I mean, these millennials, the Gen, Gen Zers and all these guys, I mean, they care about what you care about. They care about what your company stands for. They identify not just because their friends are wearing it, but what do you stand for? Are you, you stand for ability, right? Do you stand for social uh, justice and awareness? Do you stand for certain things? And there's um, that I think have benefited from that. Like, but all of these things have turned our business upside down because those moments as well, right? I talked about sports moments earlier. Mm-hmm. These are moments that it doesn't, you can talk about, like I said, sports moments, health moments, or social justice moments, but how do you capitalize? What are you doing to be nimble to adjust in that time? Are you around watching me like everyone else? Or are you saying, okay, what's going on? And what our brand has to say about it. And then this is what we're going to do about it. And then this is how we're going to go to market based on what we just said we were going to do. And and that for 2020 is, I, I think, deal for us, being nimble and moving quickly and making statements and, you know, actually act those statements. Um, uh, I think I think some companies that, and frankly, some of my competition kind of maybe been stuck in the mud on that yeah. a little bit. No, definitely. You guys have stood out with your messages and your messaging. And, and you're right, the, the this generation, the younger generation, they're completely different than, I, I think, uh, older generations. And when we grew up, they are so much more active and, and so much more just actively responsible, socially responsible, yeah. I should say. And so yeah. I think what you're doing is great, man. And and when you talked about athleisure, it's funny. I didn't do this on purpose, but I, I just looked down. I have Nike shorts on, Nike socks and Nike shoes. And this is my attire seven days of the week right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> it is. And I'm going to say we pr- predicted this, but we did have a five-digit plan that align with what has occurred. I mean, we're promoters of athleisure because athleisure products, right? Mm-hmm. And we did this for a long time, promoting people being a little bit more comfortable in, in how they go to work. We didn't coronavirus, but now, but that's been in our plan. And the coronavirus happens, then now that actually lines up with some of the plans that we already had. I would say for sure, fortunate enough to just have really good plans, um, you know, right now, consumer direct offense is our large, uh, and, and essentially what that means is beef up our online presence. We're better with our apps and, and we're good online business and apps and all that good stuff. But we're really trying to take it to the next level to where we can truly, we're morphing Nike into a tech company. Well, guess what? Tech is going to be the future, right? And the coronavirus has sped all this stuff. So that was a five-year plan that we had to turn into a one to two year plan. And so those are some of the things that we had our ups and downs with this. Most of it has been, okay, keeping up with demand. Is this break our supply chain structure? You know, how does this affect sports? There's still a lot of things we still haven't quite figured out. Uh, the good news is though, we did have plans in place that we were already going down a certain path. And then now this path just kind of lines up with right. some of the things Mm, nice. All right. Now, just talking to you and just listening to you, what you're saying about the things that you do and your responsibilities, it seems like relationship building and maintaining communication skills, sales, strategy, uh, analytics, economics, negotiation. There's so many different skill sets that, that you're yeah. needed in what you do. But can you talk yeah. about what you think are the top skill sets and characteristics that are important to be successful in your line of business? You know, I've got six other teammates and we kind of work all on the same team. We all have different values. We all have different ways of going about the business for sure. Um, I don't think anybody would say that we we do it similarly, but I do think, you know, obviously communication is top, right? Like that's, that's pretty high, but we, you all communicate differently as well. Like, you know, some people I'm very direct. I'm 
direct person. I kind of very direct. And I use a lot of examples. That's one of my main communication proponents. But but along with communication, you have all these communication, right? Negotiation and uh, soft skills, hard skills, you know, all that kind of relationship. That's all kind of communication. That's that's one big. For me personally, I rely heavily on my ability to analyze strategically. That is something that I personally rely heavily on because I do think that can cross functionally in a lot of different areas of life. So that's a, that's a big one for me. Some of my teammates, maybe not as much because they might be stronger in their soft skills than, than I am, frankly. Right. But for me, I definitely use a lot of those around analysis and strategy and just larger strategic thinking. That That for me has served me well because I ultimately come from a retailer's mentality where I know they need to make money. So something that I always think about is saying, my buyers need to make money. I need to come up with a way each season to help money. That's probably one of my important pieces. And so I rely on those skills. Those are the skills that I build up a lot. But I'm a big fan of people organically going with finding their own skill sets in life and building those skill sets. Kind of like in high school, you know, your teachers in high school used to say, oh, well, you know, Tommy, you're not good at this. So, you know, you need to work on this and you need to work on this more. And then, you know, we have this culture where we beat people down about what they're not good at. And I'm a big fan of figure out what you're good at, right? And actually grow that, right? If you're above average in, at something, that means you're above the average. And if you grow what you're already above the average of, you might actually be great at that. And conversely, if you're below average at something, you might be able to go to be good at it or average at it. But it's a lot harder to be great at something that you're naturally not good at. So I'm I'm a fan of people using their natural skill sets and growing those skill sets and then adapting those skill sets to whatever job or goal they need to accomplish. Um, It's a a little bit different approach, but I'm I'm a huge fan of that. Nice. All right. That makes sense. Okay. Now you spoke about the fast paced environment and what you do and how it, it deals with fashion and data analytics, but can you just talk about what you love about what you do? Um, I, I do love the fact that uh, it's a different job every day. Um, I mean, whatever, I mean, you know, maybe Monday mornings from eight to noon, that might be set in stone, right? Um, but but then after that, it's a different job. I can't tell you what email I'm going to get. I might get one email saying, hey, I need this image update so we can put it on our website so we can sell this item because we ain't got the image. Or I might literally get this other one where, hey, sports team X just called and said, hey, we're trying to partner with your account and something's not quite right and we need you to fix this right now. That actually occurred. I'm um, trying to do, trying not to call out what actually happened. <laughs> let's just say a noticeable sports team emailed someone and it got to me and we needed to fix this problem five minutes ago. So it was like fire drill, fire drill, right? And so I will get those type of calls. And some of them might be, uh, the, you know, I might be working on my assortment. But what I love ultimately is I love the flexibility of the mental flexibility, meaning you know, mentally, I might be thinking about something different each day. That keeps me young. Um, that keeps me uh, thinking. Um, I'm a big fan of exercising my brain, right? So, you know, just be able to solve different problems, right? And so you've got to break down that problem. I mean, I get a lot of problems. I mean, typically, my email box is filled with, okay, problem, solve it, please, right? right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and, and those problems could be all kinds of different things. Like, hey, we got this salute to service football jersey in NFL and it's launching. Where is it? It's not here, OJ. It's not here. Where is it? Because we have to launch on Sunday, right? And that's a problem. Solve it, right? So 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 much of my job is problem and solve. And I actually enjoy that. It's it gets a little hectic, but it's different each day. But it's a mental exercise. And then I get to talk sports all day, right? And and I get a nice discount from a great brand. And um, and I mean, I've, I've spent, uh, I can't tell you how many games I've been to. You know, I can't, you know. I've seen you at some. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I've been to a lot of great sports moments. You know, one of my top ones is I saw Serena and Venus play at, at Wimbledon. Nice. Um, that for me is pretty high on my bucket list, right? Like you can, you know, I've been to, uh, you know, a, a World Cup. Um, you know, I, I've enjoyed uh, sports that I like. 
genuinely enjoy soccer. Um, that wasn't a sport that I knew about prior to this job. So there's a, there's a lot of cool benefits that I'm sure people can think about. Do you get this? You get to do this? Like, yeah. You know, I've met some athletes. I've heard a lot of great athletes speak. That's probably another one. A lot of great athletes speak. And that's been tremendous. Uh, I can't I can't go into like how many speeches I've heard from from big time athletes and not like realizing like, hey man, there's some people that can speak. Like you know, Richard Sherman, he's a fantastic speaker. So that's been cool. I, I've had a lot of great bucket list moments, not just as a sports fan, but just like in life. Work with a lot of great people. It's a cool job. I, I, I cannot I cannot lie. Um, it's stressful and it's crazy, but it's not bad. All right. Nice. It doesn't sound bad. Talking sports all day, going to top sporting events, things of that nature. Now, <laughs> and now you mentioned how it can be stressful. Can you talk about just the opposite side, the challenges? What challenges are out there for you and what keeps you up at night? Um, there is a lot of pressure for us to to bring home the bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, and, and I, like any career, right? But for us, it's, it's um, we like to joke about is that I mean, our goals are very well-defined. You know, we do about a half a billion dollars on my team. Each person within that team has a certain amount of money that, they're, that they need to bring home each quarter. Well, you need to bring that money home. Absolutely. So and that, that, that is a, a major pressure, right? And sometimes there are extenuating circumstances, like in my area where I have a, you know, it's no one cares that your favorite sports team has a losing record, Right even though you might've done, oh, I did a million dollars with, you know, the Texans or the Rockets last year. Well, now they're, you know, losing. So what, where's my money at, right? So that component is very real. I would say I live in the middle ground of a lot of other moving parts, whether that supply chain and product not getting delivered on time. And so much of this is time, right? Like time is such a, you probably heard me say, you know, right time, right time, right time. I mean, what happens if, if I've got a brand new jacket and this is super heavyweight jacket that's going to keep you warm, what if that delivers after Christmas in Houston, Texas? Yeah. I mean, that money's been spent, right? Yeah. Like that money's been spent. So that's a big component. That kind of stuff literally does keep me up at night. And it's kind of, it sounds weird. Like, oh man, I hope my fleece delivers, you know, before Black Friday. So we got this promo coming and we got this sale. And if I don't, if I don't deliver the fleece in time, we're going to miss the sale. If we miss the sale, then I didn't sell all the items and we lost money this year. Like that is a real, real component. And obviously if we don't sell it this year, then why would the retailer buy it next year? Right. right. So that piece is a little nerve wracking. And then knowing that so many people in the chain is eating, right? So think about, you know, you got supply chain factories overseas, right? You got to ship those factories in, right? And they're on containers and on a shipping dock, right? So, so people in the factory made ate some money, right? Ate off of that. Then, whoever the shipping company, they're they're eating off of that, right? And then they delivers in, into America and goes into a distribution center here, right? And then there's you know and there's jobs and along that, and then it gets on the truck and it gets delivered to a retailer, and that's a job, right? And then the retail, you got sales guys on the floor. So there's a whole lot of components brought into uh, a lot of moving parts um, mm. and just managing those moving parts can be daunting. Mm. Now, okay, so with the stress level of this job, what hobbies do you have or what stress relievers do you do? Um, I've got my kids and they know if they're a reliever or not, <laughs> right? But, <laughs> but they, uh, they are a component. I've got my friends. I've got a robust life outside of work, which I think is important to work hard, play hard. That's a that's a family motto. And then we we have our side businesses as our as our family. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm big into real estate, and so that is a personal passion of mine. Which more work, more stress, but it is mine, and and that that for me can can be a, a nice relief uh, mentally away from the nine to five. All right, that's great. That's great. All right. Now you mentioned great bucket list moments that you've had. Can you talk about a memorable moment or memorable moments that stick out to you in your career? Yeah, for me, I helped launch the NFL with Nike about, I guess, about eight years ago, nine years ago. And that was a big one for me because the NFL had been with Reebok for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years. And so when in license, when a, when one brand has an asset that long, everybody in the industry is just used to the, them having that asset, right? Like me, the NFL was just used to working with Reebok. 
all of the uh, partners, the, the Dixes, the Academy Sports, the Foot Lockers, they, they were all used to working with Reebok. And Reebok works a certain type of way, and we work a different way, right? And they were used to certain products, and we have different products. So that one stuck out to me. One, because I was still relatively young in my career. I was very confident. I've always been confident because I'm a data person. But that was interesting, mainly because we were we were we went in to dramatically change the business versus what everyone else knew. So did people trust and like Nike? Yes, right. But were they calm with these changes? Absolutely, right. Like so, you know, if, you know. Here's one change. You know, our jersey. Their jersey, I think, cost sixty five dollars at the time. And that's what the standard NFL jersey cost. Well, we were building a new, better version, and we had all the reasons of why ours was better, but ultimately it was $100. That is a dramatic increase in price for the consumer. And that's something that you have to acknowledge, right? right. Now, our jersey, I could check it out, and I could talk to you for an hour about why we believe our jersey is better than that version, right? But ultimately, it's still $100 more, right? And then we had a lot of different other products that we didn't make we were bringing in yoga pants we bringing in shorts we were bringing in workout gear along with like so you know Reebok I would argue I mean they, and they probably say more than this but they had their jersey they had their t-shirts right like hey here's your team t-shirt here's your Texans t-shirt here's your Cowboys t-shirt here's your Cowboys jersey that's it right well we were we got your jersey we got your tees we got your polos we got this great college polo business right so let's let's we got this Tiger Woods polo now. You know, you want from you, you, you know, you want this great Tiger Woods polo along with your Cowboys gear. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> you know, we got these great yoga pants, right? Like every woman in the world knows what some yoga pants are, right? <laughs> hey, you want one with the Cowboys logo? Yes, you do. So we, you know, we had all this, we had this larger assortment that we could bring in. And so the great part was being able to take what's working over here and put it over here and we call that borrowing badge where we literally borrow from ourselves and then badge it with with another licensed asset and so that for us was good business but selling the industry right we just gotta get everybody buying in to this idea like hey look at these items and it's different and it's fashionable and you can go to the game and you look cool at the game you know you, you, you can wear this on and so this also went to this larger component of athleisure that i talked about earlier where we're trying to drive a, a cultural shift. Mm. Why wouldn't you wear your Cowboys polo uh, on Fridays at, at the office? And that was something that we actually, you know, I, I remember vividly, you know, selling that in my, in my sales meeting. Like, hey, my guys were like, well, we don't really sell that many polos, you know, OJ. Why, why are you trying to sell us all these polos? I'm like, well, one, it's great. And you already sell a bunch of polos over here. Right. But then also, hey, think about the avenues of expansion that we're giving you. Right. Why wouldn't you? So I remember really eight, nine years ago, there were companies that were like, hey, casual Friday. Right. For the guys. Right. And casual Fridays was a polo and some khakis or whatever. Right. And then that was what it was back then. So now I'm giving companies like, oh, well, you know, you should have casual Fridays, but like your your favorite team Friday. Yep. Right. And, and if you think about it, that was something that I think a lot of companies do to this day. Yep. I, I would argue that wasn't occurring 10 years ago. No. Oh. So that was a great moment for me, just being able to really start a new business. Now, this business existed, but for Nike, it had been new. Uh, we had been in the business for like 10 years. And then we also just had all these new items that we could kind of bring to the world. And, and they were already out there. And the great part about my job is that we've got different roles. I don't do the highest volume, but what's cool about my particular role with, with the sports team with license is that I get to say hello to new consumers, right? Cause there might be a Cowboys consumer that might not be a natural Nike fan, right? They might, they might not even be an athleisure person, right? They might wear a suit four or five days out the week, right? How do I introduce them to Nike? And through a license, it's a great way. Um, I put this, I present this all the time, is that license is a great way to say hello to a new consumer. Mm. Meaning, um, if my account is going into a new place, right? Let's say my account might open up 10 more stores in North Carolina, but they have in presence in North Carolina. Well, how do they say hello? How do they introduce themselves to a consumer that never heard of their brand? Hey, we got Nike and we got your favorite sports team over here. You got to buy your sports team. You got to buy, buy your team, right? You, like, you have to buy your team, and you don't really care who the brand is. 
oh, I've got, well, y'all got this Nike dry fit polo. I never tried on a Nike dry fit polo. I'm wearing my sports team, so I'm going to buy it now. Oh, I like this polo now. <laughs> you know, oh, I like how this feels now, right? Like, I like how whatever. So it's a, it's been a great way to, to say hello to, like I said, customers that may not have normally voted for Nike to begin with. Right. And, that, and that's been a big... Like and I and like I said, I've launched the NFL. Um, I was here for the launch of Nike taking over the NBA, so I was part of that. I mean, I wasn't a head guy in charge, but you know, I'm, I'm on the front lines on on that launch. Like I said, we've done World Cup. We've done. I've, I've done some good moments yeah. where this was this has been interesting. You know, for me, the the most recent big one was Women's World Cup. That was a again that occurs every four years, so that's a big deal for us. It's, it was a great grand moment for women and just everything around women. And and obviously women buy more products than, than men and, and they're the bigger shoppers. But again, think of like athletics, right? So yeah. that's not necessarily top, right? And so, you know, we have larger company-wide strategic around going to women's business. So being at this sports moment that also aligns with the company's strategic plans. It was fun and interesting and fast and, and all that good stuff too. Well, that's great. And congrats and all that. The, those are huge, huge moments. And it's great that, you know, the NFL moment even happened at the beginning of your career. So that's it. Yeah. Even more special. So congrats and all that. Awesome. Yeah. It, it, it's been, it's been a nice ride. Ah, good. Well, Hey, we're, at the end of this interview, we're going to head to this quick hitter session. We're going to ask you questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. But before I do that, though, I just want to see if there's anything additional that you would like to discuss or anything you think I might have left off asking you. Uh, no, I just love the podcast. I love uh, the idea of just introducing some careers that people may not know about. I think for me, people ask me all the time, so what do you exactly <laughs> so you're in marketing? I'm like, no, I'm not in marketing. I'm not like everybody thinks Nike's all about marketing, which we are definitely a Nike a marketing company. But yeah, there's this whole industry on the back end that gets people all of their products that they need, right? Yeah, I think that think people kind of feel like it's magically, hey, I ordered on Amazon and gets here or whatever, but there's a a whole lot of work that that involves making sure that people whatever whatever it is right their, their headsets their their water their toilet paper their you know it's not just you know retail is a very very retail i mean actually is one of the largest industries in the in the, in the country mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole lot of work that involved in, in, in making that stuff happen yeah yep well thanks thank you all right so let's go to this quick hitter section so first question what's your favorite sports team Probably would say, yeah, Texas Longhorns. Let me let me go ahead. Yeah. All right, Houston guy. I love all the Houston teams. I'm gonna, I'm gonna revert back. I can never go wrong with the Longhorns. Right, right. Hook them. All right. Favorite movie or show? Uh, you know, I, I like the Shawshank Redemption. Can't go wrong with that one. Iconic classic. And then I would say I'm a Star Wars geek. Uh, mm. Um, so I'm, I'm a big sci-fi, and I, I love all things Star Wars outside of the last movie. Um, but, yeah, but, but yeah, I'm a geek there. Are you caught up on The Mandalorian? I am caught up. Yeah. And I did see the latest episode, which is fantastic, by yes. the way. Yes, I it is. <laughs> All right, favorite musical artist or group? Um, I would say musical artist. I'll go a little old school, and I can't go wrong with... I, I'm probably one of those people that still listen to Tupac to this day a little okay. bit. You know, date myself a little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> He's the goat. I can't go wrong with him. I mean, I, I keep current though. I mean, I, I listen to most of the current hip hop and, and that kind of stuff or whatever. But um, so I'm fairly current, but I can't go wrong with with pop. Right. Yep. All right. Favorite vacation spot. Spot. You know, we we've had some uh, opportunities to kind of visit a lot of the great places, but we've been down to that whole. Riviera Maya, Cancun, Tulum area. I don't know how many times we've been down there a ton. <laughs> it's a great flight. It's easy to, to get to the Houston and and weather's typically good, food's good. So I, I would say that's that's one of my we we end up going a lot. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the best place, but we end up going a lot. Right. Okay, nice. Favorite food or drink? Can't go man, I'm a big foodie. I love food, but I, you know, I can't go wrong with good old Tex Mex that we have in our state. So I'm probably eating some version of Tex-Mex uh, at least two to three times a week. Okay, nice. Yep. Being in Houston, I can see that. And 
want to ask you this one. Do you have a favorite sneaker? You know, I don't. Well, let me say this. I, I go in waves. So um, I used to love the Air Max 95. And so I'm a binger. I'm a big binger. So whenever I like something, like I go super hard in and I wear it out. So I, I, when I first started with Nike, I, you know, I collected Air Max 95s. Right now I'm on Jordan 1. So Jordan 1 is like my shoe right now. Yeah. I'm sure it'll change. Uh, you know, I, it depends. I mean, for me, when you're working for Nike, you kind of get access to a lot of different stuff. I'm not a sneakerhead, so I'm not one of those guys. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not waking up early to, to you know, to buy the latest whatever. But there's some cool Jordan ones coming out. I'll probably grab them. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> well, this has been great. I learned a lot about what you do and about the strategic account executives, what they do. And man, it's just awesome to hear all your accomplishments. You know, the launching of the NFL with Nike, you're having the fifth largest account of the company, the several awards that you've won, being the largest seller of UT gear in the country. So congrats on all your accomplishments, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for hosting this podcast. Love it. Thank you, man. And is there a way that people can contact you if they have any comments or questions? Are you on uh, social media? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn. But if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, Odachi Barnes is uh, it's a pretty unique name, so they can find me. And I'll pretty much accept friend requests on LinkedIn. Cool. That works. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.